Helm coming inside McKimmy. Dodge to the left. Absolutely unbelievable. Four minutes gone, Ralph Milne conjures up a masterly opening goal. And no wonder he's getting the applause from his teammates and from the huge United support. I'm joined this evening by Ross Kilvington. Ross has written for This Is Ibrox, Forgotten Clubs, By The Mini Golf, Darts Planet TV, many other publications uh, as well as our own here at the North Section. Ross, how are you this evening? I'm fine, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, looking forward to this one. Two articles which have contributed to my uh, website in the, in the kind of past year, in 2020. And I thought with the articles kind of being capped, at a thousand words, I thought it was a good opportunity to actually, actually just do a podcast and go a bit more, uh, a bit more in depth into them. No, yes, yeah, sir. That's a good plan because some of the the Jim McQueen stuff, you could write a book on that guy. Um, a thousand words was, uh, you've got to kind of limit it at some stage. Um, but no, it'll be good to go more in depth on both articles and just have a chat about the derby in general. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you get into football writing? Well, kind of by accident, I think. Um, I've always wanted to give it a go. I've obviously started reading like these football times and, and nutmeg in the past couple of years. Um, and some of the writing in there is just, just incredible. So I thought, why not just give it a go? It's, the, the beauty is it's subjective, so no one can kind of tell you you're wrong. It's just a case of obviously bettering yourself and becoming a better writer. Uh, so after I got some encouragement from a few our writers to just, and just told me, well, just go for it, just write a piece and just see what happens. So I remember coming in from work one Friday and I sat at my laptop and I wrote about my, my experiences of Scotland at France 98. And I just, it was like a thousand words, I just sat and wrote it and I thought, ah, anyone can kind of do it if you've just got that mentality um, so that was kind of it and then I just basically snowballed for there Brilliant, so yeah you, you picked up the uh, the articles which I gave you pretty well as well you studied in Dundee uh, when you came to study in Dundee did you did you just commute or did you come to live in Dundee for a period? Uh, I just commuted um, I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit of a, a home bird so I didn't really want to move um, part of my kind of wishes I'd Maybe did you kind of miss out on some of the nightlife and stuff? But in general, I kind of glad I just got to train up every day. It's only forty five minutes from Kakodi, so it wasn't like it was far. And obviously, on the train, kind of could read and stuff and whatever else. So it was kind of handy in that way. But um, yeah, it was five years and it made some really good friends. And obviously, friends from kind of both sides of the the Dundee Derby divide as well. So it was always kind of good in that regards. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, 
did did your kind of perception of the derby change as you kind of got to know these people and get to know you know a bit more about the kind of idiosyncrasies of the derby and and things like that yeah obviously i knew it was big before coming up to dundee on a regular basis i just didn't think i knew how kind of big it was until you meet people who obviously have supported iowa club for a certain period of time um and obviously being a Rangers fan, no fun to me, maybe slightly bias here, but probably the biggest, one of the biggest derbies in the world. But Dundee fans could say it's probably one of the biggest in Britain. Um, some folk might laugh at that, but I generally think it's, it's a derby. It's the same city that's only, what, 100 metres away from each other, the grounds. Again, that's like another thing I highlighted in the McLean article as well. It's so close together. It just makes it that wee bit more special if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It definitely has has that kind of feel to it. I wouldn't go as far to say it's kind of an Everton-Liverpool sort of uh, thing, but there's a, a definite closeness kind of between the clubs both in obviously physical um, lo- location, but in, in their kind of nature as well. That's not to say there's not an intensity to it. But uh, also, obviously, there was a period quite recently as well where there was no old firm in the Scottish Premier League and there was no uh, Edinburgh derby when Hearts and Hibs were both down. So that actually was, for a time, the kind of premier derby in Scotland. I also loved, loved it when uh, last season, when they were both in the Championship and BBC Scotland had them on Friday nights. Uh, I thought that was a good entertainment. Obviously, more time for the punters to get bevied as well. Um, but but the, the, you know, the atmosphere at those games was cracking and... Yeah, obviously United got promoted, but that that was a good period for the derby as well, in terms of entertainment value. Yeah, so, we, sorry, on you go. It's something that I said is kind of missing, and as you as you said, it's that kind of couple of seasons when clubs were kind of yo-yoing between divisions, and I remember I think it was a two-two draw in the season that Dundee United got relegated. I remember watching it, and I thought this is just kind of it's a, it's a it was a really good game, and it. To me, watching that, I thought it's, it looked better than like a Hearts Hibs. From the Hearts and Hibs games that I've kind of seen over the last few years, a couple of exceptions, but they've never really kind of taken off to me compared to like obviously an old firm or a, a Dundee derby. Um, again, we call me biased there, but I just watching that Dundee, and I'm sure there was one last season, you maybe remember it as well. I think was it done, did they win six two United? Yeah, so there's kind of there's been a couple of six twos to United in recent history, but yeah, there was one last season. Last was, season. That was a good game, and again, it just kind of highlighted the fact that this should be a game that's played in the Premier League. To me, they're the two teams that should be in the top division, in my eyes, anyway. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and we got a wee uh, soundbite from Ross Tuff, who is a Dundee fan. And I'll just play that for us now. It's never a dull moment support in Dundee. Essentially a yo-yo club that bounces back time and time again. And as for the Dundee derby itself, well, it's the most underrated and unique derby in world football. Two sets of fans who sit in the pub, drink together, have a laugh with each other before the game, despise each other for 90 minutes whilst the game goes on. And the game itself, there's always goals, never a nil-nil draw. And then after the game, both sets of fans go back to the pub and it's like it was before the game. No hostility whatsoever. And that's what makes it so special. Both sets of fans are proud 
to be part of the Dundee Derby. That was a, an interesting soundbite from Ross, and it actually kind of covered a lot of things which we mentioned. Uh, you mentioned Dundee were a yo-yo club. That was a, a description he used to describe his own club, which I think, to be fair, is quite accurate, particularly in the past 20 years, which will kind of come to their uh, ups and downs. Um, but also just in the way he described the derby is there is an intensity to it kind of in that match. You can see it, especially these Friday night games I talked about um, where the atmosphere is rocking, but it kind of doesn't cross a kind of greater line. There is a kind of mutual respect there as well. And, and, and it is kind of just banter to them at the end of the day in, in the pub and such. I think it differs from the old firm in Edinburgh derby where I think there is a lot of malice between like, the sets of fans is right. Before and after as well, um, like I've got friends that are Celtic fans. You can have a good laugh with them, and that's it. But you just kind of see it on social media as well. We kind of past five, ten years. It's kind of coming more to the to be the norm. Um, just some of the stuff. It's it's just insane. Like you kind of just go and watch it, have a bit of a laugh, have a bit of banter, and then kind of leave it at that. It's just beginning to get a bit too. I don't know what to describe it. It's just kind of delving into places that should yeah, go. It's not always going to be the rule for all supporters, but uh, uh, yeah, I think the the Dundee derby is an interesting one because yeah, if you look at all the derbies within uh, kind of Scotland, there is a kind of link to um, sectarian divides, if you like. Uh, it, it's obviously present in the old firm. It's present maybe not to the same extent Edinburgh Derby but even the Dundee Derby has um, does have a slight history obviously Dundee United were formed as Dundee Hibernian um, and they were uh, sort of the club of, of that of, of the Catholic community although they've since changed their name and I think I mean and Ross and uh, in, in his son maybe alluded to it slightly my feeling uh, having lived in the city my whole life and when I speak to people, they do very much kind of try and distance themselves from that. You will still see um, like Union Jacks and things appear. Uh, I've seen like pictures of Dundee fans that have them um, for the derbies kind of only sort of thing. And other Dundee fans have kind of called that out. Uh, and, and there is this feeling in some sections that they want to distance themselves from that, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, just if we look at the kind of milestones of each club in the history, it's quite interesting. I'll just kind of run through it bullet point year by year. 1893, Dundee were founded after the merger of East End and Our Boys. 1909, Dundee United were formed as Dundee Hibernian. 1910, Dundee won the Scottish Cup, beating Clyde 2-1, that finals at Ibrox. 1951, Dundee won the League Cup and retained it in 1952. Now, it's worth noting, I'm saying 1951, that was uh, December and November final, so that's season 51 to 52. Yeah. So, um, 1962, Dundee won the Scottish League, which uh, subsequently qualified for the European Cup, where they competed in 1962 to 63, and they reached the semi-finals, losing out to eventual uh, winners AC Milan. 1968, Dundee reached the European Fairs Cup semi-final, uh, losing out uh, to Leeds United, who were eventual winners over two legs over Ferencváros. 1973, Dundee won the League Cup. 1979, Dundee United won the League Cup. 
1980, Dundee United retained the League Cup. 1983, Dundee United won the Scottish League, which subsequently qualified them for the European Cup, where 1984, they reached a European Cup semi-final, losing out to Roma. 1987, Dundee United reached the UEFA Cup final, losing out over two legs to Gothenburg. Uh, 1994, Dundee United beat Rangers 1-0 in the Scottish Cup final to win their first Scottish Cup. And in 2010, Dundee United won the Scottish Cup again, beating Ross County 3-0 in the final. My main takeaways from that are uh, not much separates these two clubs, and I'm not just talking about their geographical location. Yeah, no, it's... It's, it's kind of weird when you, you look at it, that there seems to be one half of the history, obviously the beginning of Dundee were like dominant um, and obviously it can kind of be seen as like, the forerunners of the city and it was obviously blew up until I think 1971 when uh, Jim McLean took over, who ironically was at Dundee as a player um, and a trainer and then once he's on board, it's just like Dundee have kind of ceased to exist in regards to winning any trophies. It just goes straight to Dundee United's success. I think that's really... I mean, you look at different rivals like everywhere. Obviously, there's going to be periods that overlap that one team's going to win a trophy and then... I mean, it's not just going to be dominated by one. They're going to be interlinked. But this is quite... Before reading up on it, I'd never actually noticed that before. Um, so it's definitely split into kind of two periods in time, and up until obviously say now, they're kind of both on. As obviously, Dundee United being in the Premier League, but there's not really much that's going to kind of separate them as such, especially in regards to trophies. That yeah, the the periods don't overlap, and it's almost as if one begins, the other stops. Uh, and then since then, you know, after McLean left United, um, there was the trophy for United in the 2010 Cup final. You know, not a kind of period of sustained success. Um, so, so it's it's definitely interesting. And I think the periods can also, like, almost be defined by, you know, the, their managers at the time. Uh which which is kind of the articles we've covered. The articles aren't an exact comparison, obviously, because one's focusing on a specific run uh, in the Dundee's European Cup run, and then we focused kind of on the managerial uh, career of Jim McLean. Maybe if I knew we were going to do this podcast, we would have done it slightly different for, for comparison's sake. But let's look at that, the, the Dundee article first then, because uh, it's the second one you submitted to the website, but it's the first kind of in chronological order in terms of Dundee's successful period. It was the 28th of April 1962, and I'm sure it was a Saturday and the time was half past two. We're standing outside Muirton Park, came our St Johnson play. But we just needed a point to win the league, and if I remember right, it was nobody after then. Well, anyway, we gets inside the ground, and we could hardly move. There were thousands and thousands of Dundee fans there, just a sea of dark blue. Now, your Uncle Rod, he was drunk, and he had a pee where he was standing, and the guy in front of him, he was drunk too, and he was off your understanding. So the whistle blast and St Johnson nearly score. God, my heart was in my mouth. But up pops Gilly with a bullet header, and he nearly blew off Merton's roof. 
So we were one up at half time and we were on a roll. Something special was about to happen as we sung for an hour Dundee goal. So the referee blazed a whistle to start the game and it wasn't long before Gilly struck again. Now the St Johnson players started fouling and kicking so they de-up the pace and the dark blue machine started grafting and clicking. Then just about a half an hour ago, Andy Perman scores a screamer. The Dundee supporters went ballistic. I mean it was a feeling you could only dream of. And as soon as the final whistle blew, we won the league at Perth. And the Dundee fans mobbed the pitch and it was the greatest feeling on earth. So they had won the league in 1962. Uh, I think they finished on 54 points, which back then it was two points for, uh, for a win. And that was a 36-game season, which qualified them for the 62-63 uh, the, the European Cup. Uh, this was under the management of uh, Bob Shankly, brother of Bill, of course. Bill Shankly, who, of course, had some uh, league title successes of his own as manager of Liverpool and a UEFA Cup win in 1972 for Liverpool. Uh, sorry, 1972-73. However, Bob nearly beat him uh, to European success uh, in that cup run. Yeah, I think a lot of people... Obviously, I remember right, Bill Shankly, but there's another famous, especially up in Dundee, um, nobody's going to forget his name up here, um, that took Dundee to heights that could arguably say they've never, they haven't reached since. Imagine Dundee being in a Champions League semi-final now, it'd be absolutely incredible. It's never going to happen, unfortunately, but 50, near 70 years ago now, that's what happened. It was just a Obviously, the European Cup was a kind of different prospect. It was you'd probably say it was harder to win back then. Obviously, just the champions of every country reaching the the main stage, um, and it's obviously over two legs. It's not like a group stage where you can have say two, even three bad games and still and still qualify. You you had to be on the ball from like pretty much round one. Um, because if, if you want, it's not the first time you've seen teams go out in the first round. I think Liverpool done it once after they won it in 81. I'm sure they went out the next round, like the first round of the next year, to a team that I can't tell you them off the top of my heart, up top of my head, sorry, but it was just kind of so volatile that if you weren't playing 100%, then you could be out, and then that was it. The winning the league the season before then obviously didn't matter. If you went out in the first round, it was just a, that was it. It's just changed so much from like then to now. Yeah, so I suppose, yeah, there's a couple of things and yeah, and that's a good point in terms of the hardness is back then you had to, you had to win your domestic championship. Um, but then also, yeah, as as you say, you didn't have a group stage where, yeah, you could actually lose half the games and, and, and win the next game, depending on other results. You know, you, you'd be through. And we've seen that before in, in group stages um, in the Champions League, but also like in the Euros when Portugal had a bad group stage. They, I don't think they won a game and then they got into the knockouts and they, they had that chance to kind of go on. Of course, that, that was a different uh, dynamic. I suppose the flip side to that would be um, the champions of the kind of smaller ranked nations could get quite far 
and uh, you know you, you see some kind of maulings in the record books in the quarterfinals of of teams who, who wouldn't be there now. So I think in a sense, in a, in a sense, it, it was it was harder to win. But uh, yeah, that the beauty of the cup is you could get luck at the draw and, and draw maybe a not so hard team at a very late round. Yeah, I think um, again it's just like any, any competition. Sometimes there's no hard teams, uh, no easy teams. It's like, a lot of the, especially Eastern Europe, from like, reading about not even just Dundee's run, but like Man United run um, in the early in the late fifties. It, it was a tough place to go, especially with like obviously early stages of aviation and the Cold War going on. It, it was hard in regards to kind of getting in the country and then once you're in the country it's it was a totally different world to what we're kind of used to or what we're used to back then I should say mm-hmm. um, it's not like now when I could fly out the day of the game have the game fly out that night and then that's it it's done it was almost like a monumental effort for away games um, obviously I look at the the, the tragedy in Munich with Man United it, it just highlighted how kind of even dangerous mm-hmm. it was um, for teams going across as well. Yeah, I think yeah, def- definitely back in the days before even communication was um, as accessible as well. Going to these kind of, you know, now now if you're going somewhere, you can almost research it quite fully, almost experience it before going via YouTube and the like. These players going in in far off places must have uh, it must have been like a proper uh, a proper a proper adventure. Um, just before we, we come to Dundee's run, actually, so a couple of kind of um, a couple of Scottish teams had had an attempt at the European Cup. So I think Hibs were the first. Uh, you mentioned this in your article. Hibs were the first representative. They actually qualified after finishing fifth. I think that was the inaugural European Cup uh, because they were the only team with floodlights, uh, and I don't think England had a representative. So Hibs were actually the first British team to. To be represented in the European Cup, and they reached the semi-final. Yeah, it's a it's a good quiz question, that actually. If you ever, because um, <laughs> a lot of people would obviously just think Rangers Celtic, obviously for Scotland. But I mean, it was a different, it was a different period, and I think I go in, go into it in the article as well that the the kind of fifth. I'm sure Hearts were quite dominant towards the later end, um, and Hibs were the, the famous five. They won a couple of titles as well. Kind of jostling the Rangers in that early kind of period. I think Celtic were going through a bit of a transition, um, but it was again, it was just a. It must have been refreshing, right? As much as being a Rangers fan, you want to have success, obviously now. But you secretly, you kind of want a bit of competition. You'd like to just see somebody different, challenging. It's just getting obviously to the, and obviously it's been like that for the past kind of thirty years, but. It must have just been so good to see different teams actually having a chance and actually winning, like, not even just trophies, but titles as well. And again, that's what yeah. uh, Hibs been obviously the first team um, in Dundee as well. Uh, Kilmarnock had, I think they won the title in 1965. Um, I can't tell, can't remember much about their run, but they were getting a chance to actually compete in the European Cup, which was the biggest trophy at the time. Which must have been amazing. Yeah, I, I think definitely. Um, if if yeah, for example, if if some other Scottish teams, some of these teams we've mentioned, 
uh, began to challenge again. It would be great because it would change the dynamic, not just of the, the kind of old firm competition, but uh, the game as a whole. And it, it is a, a shame in a sense that, that that has been lost because I think it'd be a selling point if we had more clubs which uh, could compete for the league title. Um, Rangers themselves reached the semi-final against Frankfurt in 1960. Uh, Frankfurt then went on to the final, which was at Hamden, and uh, were mauled quite convincingly by uh, by Real Madrid. So Rangers and Hibs had both had a stab, and now it was Dundee's turn in 1962-63 season. Now, of course, we're led, as we mentioned, by uh, Bob Shankly, brother of Bill, and the brotherhood theme will, uh, will return in this podcast, but Dundee's run we mentioned. I, I actually mentioned how you can you can strike it lucky and, and draw a kind of I don't want to say um, don't want to say a team from a naughty country, but uh, a team a team that let's say wouldn't wouldn't get to the the Champions League uh, latter stages in the present day. But Dun, looking at Dundee's run, they started off with uh, Cologne. Uh, uh, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, have I? Yeah, I've never actually seen it, but I, mean, I think that sounds right. But yeah, it was, yeah. Like, as you say, you could strike it lucky or... It was Sta- such a... Started off... Yeah, yeah. such a hard team to... Like, they must have just been thinking, right, that's that's it. We've, we've won the league title. We've got a chance at the European Cup and then that's how you kind of... That's how you draw. You must have been gutted with that. But to be fair... Obviously, doing the research, it, it sounded like such a good night at, at Dens Park. Um, again, the crowds were different back then. You could kind of have, well, more than I don't know. I, I don't actually know the capacity of Dens Park, so forgive the ignorance. But it would, I'm sure it was like you are thirty-five or forty thousand for that home tie. Oh, sorry, twenty-five thousand. I've just had off my notes. Um, but that must have been such a great atmosphere. Like watching that, even just being in the city at the same kind of time um, for a game like that, and obviously would have thought they were going to get mauled, but eight one, ah, that's remarkable. Like especially up against, again, you would think seeing that result, it would have been against a a kind of team that was just qualified from one of the lower kind of ranked leagues in, in Europe, and then they've had the chance to play in it, but. Champion, just an incredible result, um, and it must have been amazing to be there that night. Yeah, I, I think as well back then, um, you know, uh, Cologne. Where if you look at these, when when I've been doing my research into kind of cup runs for uh, for British teams for for the website, they are a name which popped up. Quite quite often in the European tournament, so I, I think it's kind of like they they are still uh, a relatively big German team now. But I think at the time, you know, they they were they were a big team. So it's not like Dundee had like the easiest German team. There was now, of course, just repeating the point that they would have won the German league at at the time. So so yeah, so so they they were rightfully there. Uh, and then on to Sporting Lisbon, again another big name who are still competing uh, at high levels in Europe today. Yeah, definitely. It was again getting through that game. We must have kind of been thinking, right, that's probably one of the hardest games we're going to have to to play. And then you get can Sporting Lisbon in the next round. That must have just been 
both exciting and kind of like thinking, oh, no, that's it, that's us, that's done. But to be fair, again, they kind of took the game by the horns and, and they played really well. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at my notes here. It's been a while since I, I wrote this piece of yeah, since, <laughs> since that. Um, but obviously, it wasn't the kind of as three four as the the first round. Um, obviously, eight one to to them, and I'm, I can't remember the score, but I think they won like five or six. It was, it was a, they were close to going out in the first round after that amazing win. I think they were kind of lucky to kind of scrape it. Um, but again, another crowd of thirty thousand plus seeing their team again. They must have been kind of like taking the chance to come in that kind of draws because you never knew. I said one bad performance, and that was that was you. Uh, that was Europe. So we would have to take their chance and come and see it. Um, but obviously, in this round, I think they were defeated one 0 Um which, again, an away game and a two-legged tie, if you get defeated 1-0, it's not, it's not the worst result in the world. Um, obviously, you want to get an away goal, but I mean, you could certainly come back and play the home leg. And that's what Dundee did. And the one four two, 4-2, Alan Gilzane scoring a hat-trick. He was a fantastic player from what I've read and what I've heard from our like, older supporters. Um, and they went on to... And it's around the underlecked quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, that that's right. So yeah, the the attendance is something which is interesting. I think Dens is circa twelve thousand capacity these days, uh, average attendance a bit less than that. So yeah, it, it puts it into perspective. And if you ever look, uh, I know that uh, you you and I have both shared pictures of Dens and Tanadice on Twitter and such. Uh, if, if I don't know if you're in the Football Stadia and Grounds group on Facebook. Are you in that? Well, that, I mean, obviously, the, the closeness of the clubs in proximity is well documented, but in that in that group, people are posting pictures of Dens and Tanadice all the time, but not just from recent times. There are some really old ones. And Dens... Uh, kind of reminds me of like Ibrox and Hamden, the way it, it was a kind of big bowl. And Tanadice, Tanadice, which I think is maybe, um, you know, at, at the time, not a, not as significant in, in the picture. It's not as almost not noticeable, which is maybe a kind of symptom of the success of the clubs at the time. We've talked about how their successful periods don't overlap. Um, and I was looking kind of just at the, the history kind of records earlier, just to see like the, the years United had been relegated in Dundee and post-war United were in Division 2 un- until uh, 1960 um, or, or 1961 or something like that and then obviously the, the, by the late 70s they were starting to win their trophies. So I, I thought it was interesting that the older photos, Dens is like that big ball kind of Ibrox, Hamden-esque if you see those old photos and then Tanadice was like not not so much noticeable. And of course, that's changed now. But yeah, I, I thought that was definitely an interesting point, which maybe just tells the true size of Dundee at the time. Yeah, That's about. Imagine can you just imagine that at Hamden or Ibrox or even Celtic Parks. Eh? Like, it, it would never happen. It would just be obviously deemed and right, rightfully so. It, it was dangerous especially with the two Ibrox disasters and kind of many other near escapes. But 
as you, I, I've seen like, some of the other pictures, as you say, and it, it just looks amazing. Um, somebody posted a video on, sorry, going off on a bit of a tangent here, just when we're talking about stadiums. Um, That's all right. <laughs> a video of, it was Hibs Rangers, Ibrox, I think it was 1950, and it's uh, been colourised, and the crowd, it's just, you can imagine being at the back of the kind of terrace and just how steep it would have looked, kind of looking at the pitch. It, it just it's something that I would never kind of happen again because, as I said, safety reasons. It's just it would it just looks it just looks amazing. Yeah, it does. I, I struggle to to comprehend it, but at the same time, part of me thinks it doesn't even look that fun. No, no, no I, I, do, I do agree on that. Point. I, I can't ever imagine being up again kind of in the top level. I would just no. Nah, it, it must be especially with kind of the bodies moving as well. Um, and was like, there was always a risk of getting crushed. That just, but again, back then, it, it's obviously never kind of people aren't thinking like that. Obviously, you're basing your perception on it by looking at obviously the yeah. disasters at Ibrox and like obviously Hillsborough and stuff. And back then, nobody really cared. I don't think as of regards to ever getting hurt at a football match. It was definitely different times, and people talked about, I mean, in the Ibrox disaster documentary recently about how there was a kind of scares before, there was many crushes, and um, and, and it didn't deter people, really. Um, so, yeah, definitely just, just different times, uh, and yeah, a packed Dens Park as they uh, defeated Cologne, as I've just Googled the, the, the pronunciation, and uh, Sport and Lisbon, and then, yeah, Anderlecht, uh, where whereby they went into a two 0 lead away from home. Alan Galvin, uh, who of course was successful with them in the title of the season before, had his own European successes with uh, with Spurs as well, which was probably another conversation for another day. But just uh, just an example of the kind of caliber that Dundee had at the time and uh, the names they could mix with. Um, so they they defeated. Uh, um, was it 4-1 on, on aggregate, or was that the first leg? Sorry. Well, the one, yeah, the one 2-0 two, two away. And I think it was, like, again, talking about um, crowds. I'm sure when I was like, doing the research, and I found a really good article by, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, actually. That's poor on my part, but talking about the European Cup run. And it was, like, roughly 64,000 fans at Hazel. And obviously talking about stadium disasters, Hazel is one that kind of comes up fairly regularly that maybe not back in the 60s, it would have been a lot um, better like, looked after. But obviously after Liverpool, Juventus in 1985, and it was just like a crumbling, as you say, like a bowl, that kind of old-fashioned shape. Um, that was where the game was held. But there was only 200 Dundee fans. Imagine just being the 200 in that, 64,000 crowd. It must have been like, unreal. Um, but they got the job done. They, Again, yeah. It must have been a, a great spectacle for them to come back. Um, but now the, the the 1-4-1, sorry, away. And I think that was the first kind of real inkling that they could kind of do something in this competition. Like, they've got to the quarters. It's not a... Um, it's not a flash in the pan. Right, they could really kind of push on, and, and they've got a, a, a good, as good a chance as any to win the, or to even get to the final, and then see what happens there. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. And yeah, sorry, you're right. I've, I've just read it. It was 4-1 away in the first leg. And uh, yeah, 200 fans. I mean, again, I, t- I said earlier about the team going on an adventure, but uh, they, they would have still been on their... I'd imagine kind of better quality transport than, than the fans who were going to these stadiums and away ends, which can be an intimidating thing now. Uh, but I'd imagine back then that that would be quite quite an experience. Um, so yeah, and then of course yeah, we're talking about disasters, and 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 Heysel was the was the uh, the venue for that away match to Anderlecht. Uh, and then yeah, they brought them back to Dens. They did go one down, but uh, they had a cushion and they scored two late goals to kind of remove any doubt that they would go on to the final against AC Milan. I think AC Milan were just at the start of a dominant period. Um, they'd won, I think it was five league titles in the 50s um, and had a kind of excellent side uh, managed by Nero Rocco, who was kind of one of the leading Italian coaches at, at the time. Um, I get, Italian football, again, is kind of different from Obviously, what is now? Um, just I've kind of got a soft spot for Italian football. I used to like many people watch football Italia um, back in the day, going back a bit now. But so I've kind of always kind of liked the history and kind of the research and the clubs and they produce some really good players. And obviously, their style of play being very heavily defensive minded. But back then. AC Man that they were again an excellent side and I think they won the first leg five they won at five one just to show how dominant they could be. Um and they looked like they had a excellent chance of giving them the trophy and it was a shame on Dundee that they'd kinda of come this far. But that was obviously maybe their their kind of level that AC Man were just that kind of two steps ahead. Um and then obviously they come to Dundee for the second leg, uh, and positive it was a two-two draw again. So then just having, so I think they kind of um, played well and kind of ended on a high note in regards to they weren't demolished as such. Kind of was not like a ten-nil aggregate um, score. So I think pride-wise, I think they've done obviously. Excellent to get that far. They they definitely did, and yeah, as you say, Milan were were coming. That was their first. They would go on to win against Benfica at Wembley. Uh, that was their first European Cup. Quite iconic photos coming out of that final, actually, of the beat Benfica with Eusebio in the team. Um, there's an iconic photo of Eusebio, kind of. I think he's doing like a kind of volley scissor kick sort of thing. Um, quite funny to imagine that in the background of that photo could have been the dark blue strips with a big kind of DFC badge that Dundee stitched in, and uh, yeah, the 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 Derry boys going to Wembley for the European Cup final. Uh, in a in a sense, it was quite close, but in a sense, as you say, AC Milan won the first leg comfortably. It was uh, quite far away as well. No, it was just again. I think that was the kind of level and. Obviously, AC Milan. Benfica were had an incredible side as well. They, they won the last two European Cups and they were going for a a hat trick. Um, obviously, just come up short. But they had again. If Dundee got to the final, they maybe still would have got beat. But you never know. It's it's funny. It's like any, anything that 
happened. You, you could say a result was going to happen, but who knows? They could have won it, especially being Wembley. There would have been, as you say, thousands, thousands of Dundee fans and just general fans of Scottish football. Um, would have went down to see it. So you, you can just imagine what could have happened. Dundee could have been the first you know, club to win the European Cup, but one of yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the and this is why I love looking back at these things. It's funny to think that yeah, uh, they could be sitting at ends now with with a European Cup in the in the cabinet, and it wasn't wasn't that far away really. So yeah, AC Milan obviously had Cesar Maldini in their squad as well, a family who are still represented at AC Milan to this day, with his grandson Daniel and of course Paolo in between. Um, it was their first European Cup, as I said, but then Inter Milan, their rivals, actually won 64 and 65, uh, which is interesting. So a good period for the, the Milan teams. And then, of course, Inter had a, a drought until 2010, in which period Milan uh, stormed. And I think Milan won four more to take their tally to five. And Paolo Maldini was in all four of those squads, I believe. Um, so yeah, so that that is what started AC Milan on their European success, and that was the run over for Dundee and Ross. I think we'll definitely maybe revisit the career of Shankly more generally on the website in future. That uh, you're right all the way through the club. I don't think that uh, if directors are causing problems, that uh, you'll have a successful club. I think also, by the same token, if a manager is not working at the game, you'll not have a successful club. And the most important factor, again, if the players are not working at it, then uh, again, that will uh, mean that there's no success for you. But fortunately, we've had uh, success because I think it's been right all the way from the directors, all the way down to the players and the uh, coaching staff and the scouts as well. You are a warrior, but you must enjoy the game more than you appear to at times. I was speaking to a reporter during the week and I honestly wish that I enjoyed the uh, successful times and the good performances a bit more than I, I do because I'm, uh, the higher that uh, the players get uh, with a performance, then obviously how do you beat it? Mm-hmm. And that is always, uh, I'm a pessimist in that way, that I'm always looking to improve. And uh, some of the performances by the players in recent years has made me even smile, but I've made sure what that nobody saw me. So it takes us on nicely to the the other side of the road, um, whose successful period can almost almost be attributed to a single man. Not quite, because that's disrespectful to all the players and and uh, other people running the club at the time. But Jim McLean, I wanted to do an article on him. He's just been a fascinating character. Always, I knew that. You oversaw United during a successful period. The, their European Cup run, working with Walter Smith, but I knew he just in terms of the the figure that he was at Dundee United. Um, when he, you know, even after his management, he was on the board. He was a chairman and he was a majority stakeholder for a period of time as well. So just really ingrained in that club. The article, 22 Years of Heaven and Hell, I thought that was an interesting title. Why did you choose that title? I kind of struggle to get titles for articles. And I know it sounds daft, but I, I tend to <laughs> overthink it and try and get it. That one just kind of came to me. I don't know why. Just a random brainwave. But I just, reading the stories and reading um, 
players kind of views on him and obviously how he's rightly so he's a legend of not just Dundee United but in, in Scotland and to be fair you could probably say Brian British football I'd say as well um, and I kind of thought well it must have been hell play under him at certain times but it would have been <laughs> amazing to be part of that success and obviously look at the titles that they won and the European runs and I, I just again it just kind of came to me and I thought you know what I'm just going to stick with that and that's it so when I sent it to you Nobody can change it. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is appropriate. Yeah, he brought success to Dundee United, but yeah, I think by by all accounts, uh, could be a tough man to work under. But those standards really drove the success. Uh, and as I said earlier, yeah, a, a thousand words even on his managerial career is hard, but a thousand words barely scratches the surface of his uh, career as a whole. So just just briefly, yeah, he he was a footballer. Um, beforehand and he played for Hamilton Clyde uh, Kilmarnock but yeah as you mentioned earlier he did actually play for Dundee as well and he played in the Fairs Cup run which we mentioned earlier uh, where they got to the semi-final of that so yeah there is an irony there but there is something again talking about this kind of relationship between Dundee and Dundee United people do cross the divide there quite frequently Uh, players managers I think they've had uh, Gordon Chisholm was another manager who'd managed both and various players have done it, so there, there's an intensity to it, but not so much that players are scared to do that. Uh, and he did that. He was a player and then managed Dundee United from '71 till 1993, which uh, yeah is, is obviously just a significant period of time. Jim McLean was appointed the United manager in '71. Uh, Dundee Football Club had won the League Cup in '73, but that was maybe then a kind of signifier that their period was coming to an end. They maybe didn't know it at the time. And by 1979, then 70-80 season, uh, Dundee United had claimed the League Cup. Uh, they had drawn with uh, Aberdeen at Hamden, and the replay was more local and was at Dens Park, in which they won 3-0. They then retained that trophy by beating Dundee in the final 3-0 at Dens. So, a bit of a sickener for Dundee there. Maybe a slightly forgotten final because when people talk about kind of winning on rivals patches Dundee United and of course we'll come to this secured the league there um, maybe not so I've not grown up in Dundee that's what I always heard people talk about I didn't hear people talk about Dundee United winning the league cup at the end I think obviously overshadowed now because of them winning the league at the end but I mean that, that was to, to retain any, any team can kind of win a trophy once and then that's it. We've seen it kind of in the past 20 years, especially with the Scottish Cup and the League Cup. That's obviously no disrespect like, to Simmons and North County, but and you could kind of have a really good cup run, get a good draw and, and then win. Um, but when Dundee United won it in 79, Aberdeen were coming into being the best team in Scotland for the kind of next six, seven years, especially under Fergie. Um, so, again, that wasn't a flash in the pan. That was the kind of catalyst that they needed. Once they got that first bit of silverware, I think they knew they could go on to, to win. They probably should have won more than what they did. Um, I think any Dundee United fan will tell you that. But winning that first one and then obviously retaining it shouldn't be underestimated. Again, people might say it's a League Cup. It doesn't matter. It's a trophy. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it should get kind of mentioned more. Um, 
But I think, again, I think it is overshadowed by winning the league at the end. Which, to, to be fair, it's obviously a bigger achievement. And to win the league title with your biggest rivals is probably the biggest thing you can do in football. Yeah, so so at this point, yeah, so Dundee United, of course, yeah, the, so they win the first League Cup. Um, but bear in mind, before this, as we've spoken about, Dundee have secured three League Cups and a Scottish Cup in, the, in their history. So they're on four Cups, uh, plus their League Championship, of course, and Dundee United hadn't won a trophy up until that point. So to win the one, but then retain it, real signifier, and, and already they, they've caught up somewhat on Dundee. Um, and yeah, basically, as as you say, that was a good catalyst for success. And then uh, 1983, uh, they became champions, securing the, the league title at Dens. We are the champions, and we go to Tannadice because... Again, it was a, it was a change in the kind of dynamics of Scottish football from Celtic ending or Rangers, I should say, ending Celtic's kind of nine or ten in a row bid, and then Rangers having a a wee period of dominance up until seventy seven eight, I think, the one treble, and then obviously Aberdeen managed to get Alex Ferguson, and then the kind of rest was history, especially for him, but. Aberdeen just had an excellent side as well. And them and Dundee United were labelled the new firm. And Celtic and Rangers never really... I think Fergie kind of set his Aberdeen team out to go to places like Parkhead and Ibrox and told them that they could win. They just had to believe. And I think once they got the first kind of couple of trophies, and especially the first league win, and that was it. So uh, probably... Wasn't a surprise to see Dundee United win the league, right? especially back then. I think it was just a case of a bit more consistency that, that probably went and they should have maybe not necessarily the league, league title, but again, the, the Scottish Cup who do kind of speaks for itself as well. Um, they should have won more than what they did, especially with the kind of calibre of players that they had. But I just think it was Jim McLean was maybe. It was an obsession to him, from what I've read. Yeah, it's definitely interesting as well. And I think to some extent he got obsessed with, I think he liked that kind of beating the old firm uh, attitude as well. Because after 83, uh, and I didn't learn this until he'd passed away, uh, and I was reading some stories, he had the opportunity to go to Rangers at a time when Rangers were struggling. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say that he would have would have enjoyed success at Rangers, but it may have totally altered the course of Rangers and Dundee United history, because I'm sure um, 
I, I think it's safe to say in, in some respects he'd made the right decision kind of staying on at Dundee United because he created more history with them as they went on to uh, to, to of course kind of emulate Dundee in a sense in the sense that their first participation in the European Cup they uh, they reached uh, the semi-final and perhaps came a, a bit closer to the final in the sense that they were 2-0 up from the first leg. Let me just go through their run. They played Humrun Spartans, Standard Liège, Rapid Vienna and, and then Roma. So uh, again, big names, possibly with the exception of Humrun Spartans, who I don't know much about. Liège and Vienna are still quite big European names. Roma in the semi and they won 2-0 at Tanadice. So at that point, you're probably thinking... Dundee United are going to the final uh, to play Liverpool. Didn't happen that way. As they got a 3-0 defeat in Rome, where, where the final actually was as well. I think there was kind of mad mm-hmm. controversy. Again, I, I think everyone knew that the Italians, um, to quote Brian Clough, are cheating bastards. Um, his derby team got put out by Juventus in the semi-finals. And there's an interesting anecdote Again, apologies for going off on a tangent. I just find the the kind of history of the European Cup so fascinating when it comes to Italian teams and controversy. They kind of seem to go hand in hand. Um, and I'm sure it was and it was at Derby County and they're playing Juventus and the, one of the German defenders for Juve, can't remember the guy's name, was seen speaking to the ref. He was German, in German obviously. So he sent Peter Taylor, his assistant, to kind of go and to find out what the hell was going on here. And he got a jab in the ribs and shoved out the referee's room for his for his troubles. And I think that was the kind of um not the start of it, but I think that's when it kinda of got highlighted a bit more. Uh that the Italians and referees in general were kind of getting bribed and such. And obviously Dundee United must have thought they had a great chance going to Rome Matuna lead. But I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a probably one of my favourite pictures in football it's when uh, Walter Smith and Jim McLean are walking off I think it's Bruno Conte one of the Roma players is just giving him the finger and it, it just if you, if you haven't seen it you need to Google it it's, it's a brilliant picture and it just kind of sums up the whole Hi, I, I, think I think it I just sums up the before, whole yeah, and, between and the Italians and everyone else um, you just it's just a brilliant picture yeah, it? and McLean and Smith are almost trying yeah. to, it's as if in the picture yeah, they're trying to not look at him in a sense of, <laughs> if I look at him, I'll fucking punch his pass. I, I, I think that's that pretty much, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised Walter Smith never done anything, or especially with Jim McLean, but <laughs> it was, it's just uh, an excellent picture, and it, again, it kind of sums up that uh, Italian's history, that if you're going somewhere in Italy, you, you know you're not going to get refereeing decisions, it's just a guarantee. Just a wee mention uh, for Walter Smith, another podcast for another day, but um, he's been involved in some duels. Um, he was number two to Sunes uh, when when he came in, but also later, later in life, number two to Sir Alex uh, and, of course, number two to, to Jim McLean. So, yeah, just some good duels, duels there, of course, and that's not even mentioning his, his career as a manager, but uh, I, I think there's no doubt that he was also influential uh, to Dundee United at that time. 
Um, so yeah, so that was their European Cup, and again, similar to Dundee, it's, it's funny to think that things been slightly different. Dundee United might have met Liverpool in the final, who knows? And 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 Dundee United could be sitting with big ears in their trophy cabinet right now. Interesting point on that. Actually, I realised a, a user on Twitter commented that it wasn't big ears when Dundee. I'm glad somebody picked up because um, but... I hate kind of getting stuff wrong in articles and. I'm, I'm glad somebody actually noticed that. So it's definitely noted that some writers and some people don't like getting mistakes picked up on. I personally really don't mind it because I'd rather make it once and then never do it again. Yeah, well, it's an interesting point because, yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, it's a really fine detail, but yeah, you, you do sometimes forget that, yeah, that trophy. I actually didn't know that, I think we said Celt- the year Celtic when it was the first year that it was that kind of big year's trophy. I thought it, I always thought that Madrid won like the first five or something, and I thought they changed it after that. Um, I don't know why. It must have been a myth that I heard sometime. So the kind of original one, it's kind of, it's kind of similar to the actual the Euro Championship trophy for like the national teams. It's got that kind of same, um, not str- it's just it's a lot smaller than what it looks like now. Um, but no, I'm, I'm glad the guy picked me up on it because again, I try and make sure I get every kind of detail as meticulous and planning as possible. Ross, I've I've actually not edited the article yet, so I don't I don't know if you want. I, I thought I'll just leave it in its form, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, European success uh, came close to Dundee United again. Again, it's almost scary. I know this is the UEFA Cup, so Dundee then reached the semis of the Fairs Cup, which isn't quite, you know, the same thing. The Fairs Cup wasn't under the jurisdiction of UEFA, but it is a kind of continuation. Dun- Dundee reached a semi of the European Cup. Dundee United did it. Dundee reached semi of the Fairs Cup a few years after, and then Dundee United reached the semi of the UEFA Cup. Um, uh, the way that their kind of success was panned out as almost par- like not, not parallel, but almost kind of identical. There's definitely similarities. So just a quick run over of their UEFA Cup run. 86-87 uh, season, they played uh, Longs from France. Uh, right, pronounce, uh, I'll struggle to pronounce this, but Universitea Craiova. Hajuk, Hajuk split Barcelona... Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, who who had actually knocked Rangers out of the UEFA Cup that year, uh, and and Gothenburg. So so first of all, again in that list, names that are still frequent in Europe today. Barcelona, of course, uh, are uh, much kind of the Bar- Barcelona are an interesting one. It's obviously well documented that Dundee United have beat them four times. Uh, I think that the first two coming in one of the old Fairs Cup. Uh, first cup rounds, but Barcelona it's always kind of interesting because if you look at Barcelona's history in terms of them like being a huge European force in European Cups that's kind of the last 30 years I'm not saying they weren't big they started Gary Lineker had played for them uh, and played for them at this time Maradona had played for them so they were still big but they weren't like that uh, elite level I think it's fair to say Um, Madrid shadow for a long period up until they won it in 1992. Um, I think they reached a yeah, final. Exactly, in the, yeah. Forgive, forgive me again. I'm sure it was either the late 50s or early 60s they reached a final and obviously got defeated. But yeah, they were, as you said, it's only been the last 30 years that um, they've 
I wouldn't say obviously not eclipsed Madrid as such, but they've definitely kind of brought up and achieved a lot more European. Although I think Barcelona won four winners' cups. I think that's the record. But again, when Madrid have won all these kind of European trophies, European cups, it's kind of pales in significance in in that regard. Um, but yeah, the dynamics kind of did change for a wee bit. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, and then, yeah, that uh, I tried to mention Gladbach in the semi, who, as I say, had beat Rangers in the UEFA Cup that season. Rangers, of course, won the league that year after after a long period. So, mention Gladbach had already knocked out the kind of Scottish champions elect, but then United had knocked them out uh, to face Gossenberg in the final. 1 0 away defeat. Um, sandwiched in between, and, and we'll come to this as well, was. Uh, the 1987 Scottish Cup final. Um, so United played the first leg of UEFA final, Scottish Cup final in between, and then second leg of UEFA Cup final at Tannadice, which was a 1-1 draw, which made it a 2-1 aggregate defeat to Klossenberg. So again, almost struggled to comprehend that United could be sitting with even a, a UEFA Cup in their cabinet, and if things had gone differently, maybe maybe both. So kind of, and I think this is where you talk about heaven and hell, because that's no doubt a great achievement. Dundee United fans look back fondly on it, but um, I know that at the same time, some of them who, who were around at the time will will have heartache from that period, losing the UEFA Cup final and they lost the Scottish Cup final in between. Um, uh, to self-indulge for a moment, and I know United fans might not like two Rangers fans talking about their club, but when, when Rangers lost uh, the UEFA final, lost, uh, drew with Motherwell to go behind and subsequently lost the league that season. And then, yeah, we, we, we won the Scottish Cup and then, but I, I remember after that, like, I was gutted, although I look back now on that with fondness. Um, yeah. I, I was gutted and I said to my dad after that Cup final that it was just drab and, you know, it was the worst Cup final I'd been to, even though we'd won the Cup double. And my dad was kind of like, like, there's no such bad uh, thing as, as a bad trophy win, which is something... And years later, I, I began to realise it's true. But the context of kind of losing the UEFA final and losing a domestic trophy in between um, as successful a season and great achievement as it was um, is still a gutter. And I'm sure United fans who were around at the time will, will feel that. For the fans, it must have been an, an amazing kind of 10, I think it was like a space of 10 days, I'm sure 10 to 14 days. Um, just getting the chance to... Like, give yourself an opportunity to win trophies like that. Um must have been like an amazing feeling and as you say, like getting to the final year for Cup. Again, going through that list, it's not like it was poor teams that were playing. Like Munch and Gladbach had won it twice in the seventies and they were still one of German top German teams. Goffenberg had won it in nineteen eighty two. So there was definitely no shame in getting beat by them in the final. Again a wee bit kinda of luck going their way and as you said they could have won it I think the Scottish Cup final would have been obviously maybe not more disappointing that's probably the wrong kind of turn of phrase but they were probably expected to win that and I think having the UEFA Cup is either a distraction if you want to call it a distraction or with fatigue setting in mm-hmm. I think that was the one that kind of McLean got away from him and I think he kind of rankled about that especially after it um, that 
he mm. they probably should have won that, and it's kind of even if you carry on like after, I don't think they were the same after that. I think I could have been. It's one of the kind of weird ones that say the butterfly effect that if they did win either one of those trophies, they probably could have won more after it. But I just think maybe subconsciously McQueen kind of knew that there was a rebuilding job on. Maybe they didn't have the heart for it. Who knows? Maybe the the last Scottish Cup final defeat um, and they got beat by Munnerwell in 1991. I think that was the kind of period when he knew that it was probably destined not him to win that trophy. <laughs> and then they go and win it the first year after he'd resigned, which yeah. I think is just one of those kind of things in football that just seems to happen every now and again. That sometimes they're just not destined to win a particular trophy. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, let, let's talk about that hoodoo. So yeah, the first kind of one was St Mirren in between. Now St Mirren, uh, first of all, lo- looking at that cup final, St Mirren United, the Adidas original kits, which are both like really cool. I'm a big Adidas fanboy. The aesthetic of that cup final is so cool. Dundee United in the tangerine with Adidas stripes, sponsored by VG and their kind of line rampant uh, shield crest that they had and then St Mirren had the white kit with black pinstripes Adidas as well uh, just looking really cool but they lost that 1-0 to an Ian Ferguson goal, Ian Ferguson obviously would go on to win many more trophies in his career uh, and I think the St Mirren team had a young Paul Lambert in the squad as well um, but yeah wasn't to be for United that season as we know uh, and then 1991, and this is what I was talking about earlier, the theme of brotherhood. Yeah. Brother Tommy, who we mentioned earlier, won that league title with Kilmarnock 65 um, and then also played for Rangers Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, and, and, and then Rangers kind of period from 75 when they won the league in 75 after their hoodoo Celtics nine in a row in between and then that Kilmarnock won in 65 before it. So quite a long time. There, Tommy McLean was in those those great Rangers teams, which kind of overcame that. But then, yeah, they, he was the manager of Motherwell when uh, when United played them in the '91 Scottish Cup final, and they lost that four three after extra time. Um, so yeah, just just something who does Scottish Cup who does do happen, uh, and it definitely happened to Dundee United. And yeah, I think did Jim leave in '93? Not long after that. I think he obviously went on the board um, and then he was still at the club obviously in that capacity but it was, it was a kind of the kind of end kind of petered out for him a bit um, probably not the way he would have wanted it being such a kind of relentless winner and I think the obsession maybe was his downfall in the end uh, but it was, it was just a kind of sad end to see him and then obviously with the whole kind of punch in the BBC journalist as well. It kind of didn't go as it didn't go as well as what it could have for them. But I mean, the Dundee United fans are never going to yeah. forget his achievements, no matter how hard he was in the team. Or like, everyone respected him. I just think the kind of sentiment that's where it kind of way. I don't think there was any like really. Um, things to that. but I mean that's just that's just football he, he won them trophies and I think at the end of the day that's all that matters his kind of end was he, he kept his director duties which he actually got when he was still a manager 
uh, appointed director in 84, but when he stopped being a manager in 93, uh, after an over 20 year spell, 22 year spell, um, he, he stayed do, doing his director duties, which yeah, ultimately led to that kind of altercation with uh, John Barnes, the, the, the journalist, which there, there obviously it's something that when it happens, people say you don't want to see it, but in a, in a sense, I admire his passion. Eh? It's obviously maybe not displayed in the right way, but there's, there's something admirable about him not taking no shite, basically. It's, his passion was something that a lot of managers and some players don't can have these days. And again, you just alluding to what we said earlier about him having the chance to go to Rangers. You can't say he went anywhere from the money. I'm sure it was a £100,000 house he was getting as well. And obviously he was like doubling his wages at Ranger, quadrupling his wages, sorry, um, just from what I read uh, researching. So you can't say he kind of jumped ship the first time he, he money call and he, he had a plan, he had an objective. Like He, he wanted to build a kind of dynasty at United. And to be fair, he did. They've never had a period of success like that before or after. So... <laughs> He could have won more, but I think his job, uh, I think everybody will say he done an excellent job. And that should be from fans of any team in Scottish football. No, that, that's no doubt. And yeah, it's probably a, a podcast for another day thinking, what if what if he'd moved to Rangers at that time? And again, in the coming months, we're going to cover Ferguson's Aberdeen years. But again, he, he's somebody else who, has, as we know, obviously did go on to Man United and, and we know that what happened there. So, yeah, they, those two at that time, I, I think uh, Alex Ferguson described McLean as his uh, his nemesis, um, his greatest nemesis in football. And, and I think that is kind of, um, it, it really shows how competitive those two were. Those two were and, and one just went on a, a different path from the other. So, yeah, so so that was, um, that altercation basically was, was the end of Jim McLean at Dundee United. He resigned after he returned for a short spell in 2002 uh, and, and then sold, as I said earlier, he was a majority state, uh, shareholder as well. And then October 2002 sold those to Eddie Thompson. So, yeah, so, so that was his kind of, obviously we've focused on his managerial career, but I mean, 1971 to 2002 associated with Dundee United. So there we go. So yeah, just before we kind of finish up, we've obviously, we've talked about some highs of, of both of the clubs. Uh, we've began to touch on Dundee United Scottish Cup hoodoo. Um, and I have just listed some kind of other cup finals and things, which we won't go into too much detail on, but I thought worth a mention to give more recent context uh, to the success of the club. So, uh, yeah, so the 1987 and the 91 finals we had mentioned about then. In 95, Dundee United actually got relegated uh, before bouncing back up via the playoff uh, just the next season. 2003, Dundee again, enjoying not the same period of success as before, but we're, we're, uh, we're certainly like a top six team uh, getting into Europe, you know, uh, and they found themselves in the Scottish Cup final in 2003 again. Probably unlucky on the day, lost 1-0 to a Rangers team who were securing the treble. I think it's fair to say the Rangers team were shattered from the week before in, in that title race. Yep, absolutely. And uh, 
I think Craig Moore and Arthur Newman have both been on the Open Goal podcast saying that they did too much celebrating for days after, and I think it showed in that game. That's not to discredit Dundee's effort, who uh, who obviously they came very close to Barry Smith at the post and and some other chances. I think Novo uh, got to the byline, squared it, just Ramirez to intercept, and uh, a couple of other chances at the game. Uh, 2005, Dundee got relegated. Uh, but there were four teams in the relegation fight that day, which is just, I love that. I love that relegation scrap. Dundee United could have went down the same day, Livingston and I think Inverness or, or Dunfermline, can't remember. I think Dunfermline were the fourth one, actually. And that was the bottom six played on the Saturday and the top six played on the Sunday. And that Sunday was the helicopter Sunday where Hibs and Aberdeen were going for Europe, Rangers and Celtic the title. So the Saturday was the relegation dogfight. I love that. See, when a season has that, where there's teams fighting relegation, the title's still in question on the final day, and the European places are still in question. It doesn't happen like actually that much, but I, I absolutely love that drama of hearing the goals, and it's an ever-changing scenario. So Dundee were the victims that day, but uh, yeah, I, I, I hope I hope we get to see some more uh, battles like that in the future. Dundee United obviously survived that day and then a week later had the 2005 Scottish Cup final where they lost 1-0 to Celtic. That was Martin O'Neill's final game as Celtic manager. They had, of course, blown the league the week before and uh, that was another nearly occasion for Dundee United. Then on to 2008, uh, Dundee United 2, Rangers 2 in the League Cup final. Rangers had uh, won on penalties. Now, I've actually got quite a funny story about that game. Living in Dundee at the time, schoolboy, Rangers fan, Dundee United were a bogey team for Rangers at the time. There was a lot of build-up to that game. We had three tickets, me, my brother and my dad. But before before the final, Dundee United were handing out vouchers at, at one of their home matches. And uh, I think they were doing the season ticket holders first and then voucher holders second to kind of encourage people to go to the match, but also to limit like other fans of other teams buying tickets. Didn't work, as my friends would give me vouchers or, at school on Monday. They were handing them out willy-nilly, uh, you know, at the game. People were grabbing multiple. So I managed to nab two so that my dad could go along to Tanadice and get two United End tickets just for if, if any of our kind of guys were, were short on a ticket. So he goes up and, of course, he's in the queue and people are giving it like, oh, that's good, we've got these vouchers to stop these bastards, uh, you know, getting a ticket. And <laughs> so, so, so so he gets two, but when we're in the kind of pub for the game, he, he, he lets, he, he makes an agreement. So he's got uh, the extra tickets, but my dad, I can't remember exactly why, but he took the hit and said he'll go in the United end. And one of his friends was sitting with me and my brother. And I had this, he had this spare United End ticket to sell. And he sold it to some Northern Irish guy in the pub. So, of course, those two tickets are next to each other. So my dad's going into the United End. My dad's from Cumnock, quite quite a strong West Coast accent. Northern Irish guy, again, strong accent. Probably not your typical Dundee United fans. My dad's trying to blend in, so he buys a United scarf. Uh, from uh, from a vendor out, outside, 
Uh, but but this Northern Irish guy is not uh, not following the kind of shut the fuck up and, and be discreet script. So he's given it like talking about Lee Wilkie. He doesn't even know the Dundee United players. And he's talking out loud and he's asking my dad, like, oh, that guy's a big fella, isn't he? And, uh, and stuff like that. And my dad's like, oh, my God. So United are winning 1-0 with about, you know, five minutes to go or something. The, they, they're thinking they're winning the Cup. Rangers hadn't played well. And my dad's like, couldn't take it so my dad left and just as he left this happened it has to be all or nothing now for Rangers McCulloch battling for it he'll go up for it again Lee McCulloch brings it down Lee McCulloch for Rangers Kovacevic right in beside him and Kerr now turns plays it back what was Kerr doing and Chris Boyd scores for the 60th play well at all that day no they should have uh, Dundee should have won it definitely like just that one mistake from uh, Mark Kerr but it was just I still remember watching that and again we were kind of I said Dundee United were a bit of a bogey team for us fair enough like what was this first game back I'm sure we beat them 5-0 Ibrox but they were always a team that had the chance to win and that kind of, I start again. I don't blame your dad for for leaving because they were absolutely horrendous that day. Um, and I, I think the whole kind of cup runs that season, we were a bit. Again, this is going off on a Rangers tangent, but we were a bit kind of edgy and a lot of replays and stuff. But Dundee United, that was definitely the one that got away in that kind of the last fifteen years, I'd say, in the cups. Yeah, definitely. That was a schoolboy dreading, dreading school on on the Monday, um, and was saved. But yeah, after I, I couldn't, I couldn't really believe Rangers had won. So moving on from the two thousand and eight final, Dundee were promoted as Club Twelve in uh, in twenty twelve when Rangers were demoted to the third division. But then that led to a subsequent relegation, which I think to some extent was expected. Uh, so that was 2013, but then they're promoted again in 2014. Uh, and then in 2016, they had the opportunity to relegate United with this iconic moment. Yeah, that was obviously an iconic moment. Did you watch that game? I don't. I can't actually remember that game. I remember obviously the whole in the fanfare about them getting relegated. Because uh, to me, Dundee United have always been ever since I can remember watching like football. Say nineteen ninety eight, They've always been to, to me like a top six side in the the SPL. Well, obviously, what was the SPL back then? Uh, being a couple of seasons kind of obviously not living up to um, expectations but I would never have thought that, that season they just kind of they had I, when they lost the Scottish Cup final 2014 St Johnson were absolutely uh, absolute brown that game and then I think they reached the League Cup final 
2015 and I need to go be by Celtic. I think kind of Jackie Manamara's time is, uh, there's obviously the, the kind of whole controversy with selling uh, Stuart Armstrong and that was a kind of Ty Stephen to Celtic as well in the January transfer window. And yeah, that's right. I think I, I know a few donated fans that obviously weren't happy at all with the whole kind of setup, and there was rumours going about that Martin Mara was getting money off of transfers and stuff like that. Don't know how much obviously that was true, but I think ever since then, and it just kind of I can't remember who took charge after Martin Mara, but I think that was a kind of obviously the start of the kind of small downfall for them. But like to see them get relegated, I just I just felt so strange. And I suppose, and obviously, Ray Rovers was like, it was obviously my home team. So it was kind of good to see, to get trips up to like Tandice and stuff. But they just didn't belong in the championship. They're just a top flight side to me. Yeah, the same here. And, and they were always, uh, I was quite surprised when doing my research to find that they had actually only been relegated a, a couple of times. Uh, I, I thought it was more than that. I thought kind of in the 90s and early 90s, they, they'd been a bit yo-yo as well, but they only went down once in the 90s and then uh, in 95, I think. And then obviously this one was about 20 years later. So, uh, yeah, so you, you touched on a good point on those finals. Actually, I've kind of missed, uh, I've, I've got 2014 Dundee or promoted, but yeah, Dundee United reached another Scottish Cup final, which I think in this one, they were favourites to win going into it uh, and then yeah the 2015 League Cup final uh, where they had lost to Celtic and I think Armstrong and Mackay Stevens had already been, been sold as a kind of pre-contract uh, arrangement at the time which was a kind of weird uh, dynamic to that final so yeah I, again um, a couple of kind of cup finals I don't wouldn't go as far to say as a Scottish Cup who does they have now won it a couple of times but United fans probably look back on quite a lot of heartache there. Uh, so yeah, Ross, that, I think that summarises it. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, next for us on the website is uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, Aberdeen years. Looking forward yeah. to that one. Good one to research. It's always a, a fascinating time. Obviously, some Rangers fans will know. Understand it. Just Fergie's a legend. It doesn't matter if it was Aberdeen or Man United had totally transformed or both clubs at the time. Uh, so it'll be good to kind of go back and do some research and write that piece. And I'll be out hopefully next month. Yeah, I'll be out next month. I'll get over to you definitely. Yeah, uh, I think we've got another podcast in that one as well. Uh, any plugs for any other works you've got coming up for other websites? Doing a piece for the Tartan Scarf as well on Scotland's, Scotland, the Euro. Uh, 92, obviously just with the kind of build up to the, the Euros if they go ahead but it's just yet to be determined with the whole obviously pandemic but just that one and the one I'm doing for you and then I've, I've got one actually coming out uh, in Nutmeg uh, next month as well in Scotland at the 1954 World Cup so that'll be good to kind of see that in print as well um, but I'm just kind of working away on a few other things but it'll be good to say, do the research and get the one done for the north section as soon as I can. And you can follow me 
uh, at Frazcairns on Twitter as well. And before we go, just a wee plug for the North Section e-commerce store where we sell Dundee and Dundee United products. Admittedly, not a lot on in stock there at the moment, but uh, always, always going to be added to the collections. And if you go on there, they'll be easily navigated to under the Scottish Football Club's tab. So that's uh, at North Section on Twitter as well. Ross, thanks very much, and until next time, mate. Thank you very much for having me on.